of movement in the standings. Some of these dog and handler teams saw themselves go up in the standings while others went down. Most notably in the amateur division, Casey Parker and Bailey didn't have the greatest series allowing Ron Anderson and Smoke to sneak back into the top three. Mike Gibson and Jeter entered the day in first but now find themselves a few points behind after series four. In the open division among our pros, Clark Kennington in Series 4 had four dogs and Lyle Steinman two. It's a similar breakdown here in the finals with Clark having two of the three final dogs and Lyle having one. At the end of the day, we'll see which one of these two gentlemen is our crown champion. It is Crown Championship Day here in Huntsville. Welcome to the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba. I'm Tommy Sanders here in the studio with Chris Aiken. And Chris, we've been through it all. This is the day we've been looking for. The final day has closed. Time to find out who's going to be the Crown Champion. All right, guys. That commercial right there is coming from the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba, which, of course, is a sponsor to the podcast. We love them to death. Um, it's time to start gearing up for the Super Retriever Series championships. This year, it will be in Natchez, Mississippi, from September 25th to 29th. What's crazy is it's, it's the largest turnout that we've ever seen. Uh, of course, most of y'all know that follow the podcast. I was there last year. got invited by Shannon Nardi. Met my buddy uh, Jerry Impervento out there. He took some photos of my crazy-looking dog. Um, but... There's a total, there's a total, total, total of 64 qualified dogs, 20 more than we had last year, which makes it the largest group ever, the strongest group ever. We've got uh, 32 qualified amateurs. So make sure that you, if you are uh, in the Natchez area, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, if you just feel like making a long trip from the other half of the country, doesn't matter. Make sure you get out here to the Super Retriever Series. I want to thank Shannon Nardi for keeping me updated as well. If you guys need a refresher, also, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. Just go in the search bar and type in Super Retriever Series. You can catch a few episodes there. That clip, like I said, was um, definitely a snippet from the Amazon Prime uh, episode. And I wanted to kind of, you know, go ahead and get this ramped on up. From now throughout September, I am going to be covering some of the pros and amateurs, doing some interviews and, you know, just kind of keeping y'all up to date and up to speed with what these guys are thinking and all the good, the bad ups and downs that go on with competing dogs. So thanks again to Yukonuba Sporting Dog, Super Retriever Series and Miss Shannon Nardi. I'm also hoping I can make it out to the competition on that weekend if I'm not working, um, you know, if I'm not getting off of work too late. So check it out. Amazon Prime. Stay tuned for more from the Super Retriever Series presented by Yukonuba.
The Gundog Notebook Podcast is presented to you by OnX Hunt, crafted to be the number one digital mapping resource for hunters, anglers, and landowners. Download the OnX Hunt app from your phone's app store today and check out onxmaps.com for more inside OnX. also want to bring to you Garmin. Build a better dog with devices for tracking and training from obedience to hunting, limiting nuisance barking. Get exactly what you need to make a life with your hunting buddy that much better. Go check out the Garmin Pro 550 Plus. That's what we're using on this side of town. And uh, get yourself ready for the hunting season coming up. Don't have your dog running all out there crazy. Get them woke, broken and collar condition. That's what we are working on now. Go check them out right now at garmin.com the gun dog notebook is also brought to you by dakota 283 kennels check out the new updated price drops on dakota 283kennels.com use the promo code tgdn10 for 10 percent off at checkout also presented to you by Lion Country Supply, the Gun Dog World's premium gun dog supplier. Check them out now. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. Yes, I have been gone for a couple of weeks now for the fact that I have a new surprise. Um, life just changed for me. My daughter was born, Miss August Ann. She was born in August, August 22nd. After a long labor and delivery, my wife is doing awesome. Um, she is healthy as a horse, daughter's healthy as a horse. Um, and I just wanna thank everybody that reached out to support and you know just pray and, and send well wishes, you know, while we were, um, you know, at the hospital and things like that. So, um, you know, Plody, uh, Paul Cook and his family, just everybody that reached out, um, so many more folks, folks at work, all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited. I'm actually getting a little bit of sleep, contrary to popular belief. But um, yeah, we're here. So with that being said, Miss August Ann, I uh, look forward to a long, long life with you and hopefully a chance to get teach about some bird dogs. Stay tuned for an episode with Tommy Rice of Diamond R. Kennel. end goal and an educated guest so it seems though is it's made out to seem like there's this just some clear-cut formula you know what i'm saying like when folks get a get a new puppy especially a pointer you know you got all these big ambitions and stuff like that for a dog but you know i'll be the first one to tell you man i done ran into you know, ups and downs with my little six month old puppy, man. And, and like you said, it is an educated guess. So, you know, why is it that it's it's made to seem so straight and narrow? Is it because of people are seeing the end result? Uh, well, I think it seems to be straight and narrow because everybody wants to put a, like a scientific method to everything. 
Right. Um, you know, you know, you do this step, then you go to this step, then you go to that step, then so forth to get to your goal. Well, you know, that's not you. You have those steps in training bird dogs. You do your bench work. You go, you know, you you, you go from the bench work to going to the yard work with a check cord on a check cord or yard rope and then you go to turn them loose you know and, and make them find birds and then you know accumulate all that put all that process to get what you want whether it be a dog which is steady wing shot or to a to a hunting dog whether you want them steady wing shot or you just want them to hold birds until you get to them and, and flush them and then they, re, they retrieve Yeah, but we're dealing with individual animals so there's no cookie cutter way to do it you have to you have to as a dog trainer you have to be smart enough to say or to read your dog when is the right time to put a little bit of pressure a whole lot of pressure or take a step back and, and kind of step back um in in that training process yep. so Yes, you have steps that you want, that need to be done. Fundamental steps to to build on each other, just like building a house. Now you've got to have the concrete foundation before you put, put the structure of the walls up. You know, so training the bird dog or, or any kind of dog is it's an art to it. There's the, you have your steps, but the trainer has to be consistently consistent with their their commands to get a certain goal um, and, and sometimes that requires some off the wall thinking for a specific individual yeah um, so you know not everybody can do I think everybody can train the dog but some people are just more you know better apt to to training a dog because you know they think about it a little bit more instead of just following the process right right i don't know if that that answers your question but no it it really does man um like i said i'd be the first one to you know second what it is that you just said because you know i have gone through and i read a lot right and i've gone through mm-hmm. training method here training method there and i read a lot this read a lot that and intuitively i felt like i I feel like i knew what training method i wanted to use for my dog um you know i'm saying like i just like your child like you 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 start to learn your your kid the more you interact with them um but there's so much information out there you start to second guess yourself when what i ended up doing was cycling back around to what i initially thought was right for my dog is if that makes sense as a bird dog trainer to become the bird the dog trainer that you need to be see nobody's you know you can imitate other people's procedures and and methods and all that but at at the end of the day at the end of the career you need to be able to take things that you see from somebody else and and other people than that and put them into your training basket that works for you right now so so reading those books and you know reading those books different books like that 
that gives you the information. But really, you don't you can't put it all together until you start to actually put hands on dog training experience for you or the dogs that you're training. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so reading the information and 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 studying it like a classroom book on dog training, it, it seems easy. It seems easy. But when you put the hands-on experience on it and you actually do the training, it's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more dogs you do, the better you get just because each individual dog teaches you something else right. about training. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I I will second that. I found... Um, you know, you, 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 my, my, my Georgia family. So you probably might've run into, um, Neil Carter down there, maybe, but yeah. yeah. So, you know, he's the one that I go down to see, um, and has taught me a lot, you know what I'm saying? On a, on a good weekend, I'm, I'm actually going down there in September, um, to work dogs with him. And, um, you know, I, I, I've just, he said a lot of what you said, right? Putting hands oh, on yeah. the dog and, really just sitting back and observing them. You know what I'm saying? And what I ended up doing was making things way too complex. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I ended up calling them, you know, I ended up calling them or whatever and, and basically saying, hey, look, you know, I'm having this this one problem with my dog and the problem was um, he was creeping too close to a bird, right? Like way, way too close. You know, the first thing he asked me was, okay, first of all, how old is he? Because last time he saw the dog, he was three months old. Right. Uh, well, he's six months now. And he was like, well, I mean, you know, he, he does the pigeon pole, right? And yeah. I got one in my backyard. And for some odd reason, reading all this extra stuff and doing this, I ended up veering away from that. And next thing you know, I I get on the phone with Neil and he's like, no. Nah, Go back to the pigeon pole, you know, and just, you know, walk around with him. Let him point the bird on a bush. And, and, and hell, if he gives you one point out of two, you know, as far as a sight point and the other is a scent point, well, at least you on your way. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And and, I, and so I ended up doing that. Okay, well, hell, a week later, <laughs> my dog looked back like what I thought he was supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I was overcomplicating the process, you know, and and I like launchers and stuff like that, but I was trying too many different things. Right. Well, and, you can you can do that. It, it is very easy to do that. Yeah. And uh, um, that's one thing that I think I have advantage of with with different people. Other, you know, and I'm just speculating. You know, you live in Atlanta. You don't have vast amounts of acres and, and they kind of teach us yeah yeah uh, one thing about being up here in the prairies is it's all wild birds it's all wild birds um so we take you know I, when i say a puppy you know three months old he's too big running off a horse so i'm just walking him just walking him with his litter mates or something like that and just letting them be puppies. Um, you know, most of the time at three months, they're not going to get far enough to get away from you. Right. Um, and, and I might veer off a little bit, but going back to the, to the point you're saying is, um, 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, sometimes I don't know all the pigeon stuff, what to say, because I hardly ever use pigeons, right. pigeon pigeons. Right. Um, the only time I use a pigeon is when I'm going through my process of, they've, they've had, and in, in the, I, I get the privilege of running on a, a vast amounts of acres with mm-hmm. wild Bob White population and pre-release quail that have been hunted hard throughout the year. So, puppies get done they know by that time, you know they're standing on birds just on their own i haven't i have no no training really involved so i was turning loose and and making it with me right um just by not having the resource to train like i do you know having to have pigeon pole yard working a lot you know, yeah, you can you can make things a whole lot more complicated than they need to be for mm-hmm. for for young dogs training. And and six months old is for me extremely young. Yeah. You know, if he just stops and smells a bird, I'm happy at six months old. You mm-hmm. know, and, and that exactly. And I had to lower my expectations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that can happen uh, a good bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when do you, and, and again, this is coming off of that, when do you really start to, you know, really look into a dog and, you know, start to have, you know, expect more out of them, a little bit more manners? Um, I imagine it that's going to be well over a year old. Uh, well, Darrell, it just depends on when I get them. Yeah. Um. You know, if, if I have a, if I raise a litter of puppies and I have them, I'm going to expect something. Well, I'm, I'm not going to expect anything, but I expect them to be staying with me and hunting hard by 10 months old. Um, you know, if, if, if I get an outside dog to come in and they, you know, they've been sitting in the kennel for six months and nobody's done nothing with them, then my expectation for them is a year and a half or, you know, three or four more months down the road after I've had training for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see the good dogs, you know, most of the time you can see them real early in the litter. There's just always one that's a little bit bold that you can just pick out. But by 10, 11, 12 months old, you can see, you can see the, the cream of the crop rise. Yeah. Um, you always will probably always have one that's, you know, just kind of average, but then really make leaps and bounds uh, in the next few months that, that you weren't, you know, that you weren't, did, didn't expect yeah. to happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, by that year, Mark, you, you can tell what you got for as a bird dog and, and the class and the way they run. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Okay. So, all right. So... <laughs> I got I got off on a tangent with you, um, but look, look, I'll do that. So you know, reel me back in. Well, I'll do the same thing. I'll, I'll start going off, and before you know, I'll, I'll be whoa, right? Hook me and reel me in there. So let's let's go back to the beginning, man. Like I I, I didn't even introduce you. <laughs> you know, the Tommy Rice. 
you know, I, I never introduced you to where you from and any of that. And all I did was say you from South Georgia. So start from the background, man. How did you even get into this and, and how did you start Diamond Art Kennels? Uh, I got into it. My dad's been a bird dog trainer for, for a place in Thomasville, Georgia. Um, he's been training bird dogs plantation for 33 years now. Which which uh, plantation? Uh, uh, Deco Deco Plantation. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, he recently changed changed jobs, and he he's on a place now, and he's been in bird dog at South Georgia Plantation for thirty three years, and he got into bird dogs, uh, walking trials, and all that in in Mississippi, um, right when I was born, and then I think he when my dad took the the, the job dog trainer job at Deco Plantation in Thomasville, Georgia. Um, so I grew up around it. My dad loved field trials. He, he he didn't go to a lot of them, but he went to the local ones around Thomasville and in Albany, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up, you know, taking out quail hunts and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, anyway, went off to college. I was heavy in the baseball to, to for me to get the Diamond R kennels. Um, I, I feel like not half of my life. There's part. Yeah, I spent, uh, in, you know, that's where the diamond part comes gotcha. from. My early years of life uh, was all about baseball, so I couldn't, couldn't play college but couldn't hack it to the pros. Okay, so, okay. Uh, I got I got into uh, uh, bird dogs to 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 fill my competition side. Well, I was down there for a time at Albany State, so yeah, <laughs> I was down there with you for a second running track. So I get it, my friend. Yeah, I played. We played Albany State quite a bit. Had some buddies to go there on the baseball team. Where um, where where'd you go to college at? Well, I went to ABAC. Uh, Abraham Baldwin. Yeah. Years. Okay. Okay. And then yeah. I finished up uh, my four years at Georgia College State in Milledgeville, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. So we were right around each other. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's cool, man. I'm. It's crazy, man. That you know, and I had buddies on the baseball team, and I just, you know, you. It's it's just a small world, man. It's a it real is. small world. <laughs> it is. I'm about like that too, man. Like bird dogs is just. I'm competitive and, you know, I like to, um, I like to learn, man. And as soon as I saw the photo of Neil and Curtis, uh, Brooks and Garden and Gun, man, I was like, dude, I want to be like them. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. That was an awesome little article and, and pictures. And mm-hmm. was, I think there was a video for a small little YouTube video or something of it. I, I don't know if that's the same deal, but I, it was, it was a good Good, good read and, and listen. Yeah, man. Of course, of course. Well, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna end up being back down there uh, next March. So I went to the Georgia Florida trials this year and, yeah. and filmed that Project Upland video. But um, I'm gonna be back down there because I'm joining or whatever. And once my dog gets you know old enough and. Obviously, I'm not gonna run him under two years old because he get the you know he get mopped up. But yeah, <laughs> once well, he you gets, never know. You, you know, you never know. You never know. But I'm, 
You know, I'm not going to come out there half-stepping. How about that? Yeah. Well, you just, you, once you become a mayor, you just try to get me a judge, and we'll, we'll, we might work something out. Okay. Uh, hey, look, look. I'm talking to uh, you now. I'm the type of person I go. I go out there and make it work. Uh, that's that's. I'm just joking on that part. That's how field trials gets a bad name. Well, look. I, it, but you know what, man? And and let's talk about that though, man. Because I don't think. You know, I like field trialing, man, because we can do stuff like that. We can, you know, jab at each other and talk. You know what I'm saying? Like, just have a good time. Yeah. So what Why? What is the stigma that, that people have about field trials? And, and what is the, the purpose of them? Because I do agree with you. Like, me and you can sit here and jab at each other on the podcast and make little jokes like that. But the right, I mean, the wrong person would misunderstand what we were just saying and then it gets misrepresented. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Well, well, I'll first take that question with why field trials are important. And I think a lot of people don't realize how important they are. Uh, See, as as bird dog trainers and bird dog people, breeders, we want to breed the very best dogs. We have that obligation to better the breed, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and we've come a long way. Um, because we come a long way, it's field trials. If you go to almost, I, I, don't, I don't know the stats, but I'm going to just say something and put it out there. If you take every single good hunting dog that anybody has and look at their pedigree, I'm willing to say he'll have three or four field trial champions in that pedigree. Yes. Um, so that's why field trials is important uh, is to better the breed because let's think about it if we don't better the breed then we're going back mm-hmm. and you know uh if we if, and if we're going back before long we're not using bird dogs to find birds anymore and mm-hmm. i don't know any human who has ever got a good smell to find their own birds yet <laughs> so nope. so the, the bird dog is very, very critical in, in the hunting part, you know, for, for upland game. Yeah. Um, so to me, that is why I feel trial is so important. It's, mm-hmm. you know, people can get caught up with champs, number of championships and all that, but, you know, any field trial dog that has ever run in, in a championship or, or field trial, you can easily just cut their field trial career down and hunt them as bird dogs, and they'll find probably more birds than 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 most of of, of the other dogs that are just hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that all hunting dogs are not as good. There's a lot of hunting dogs out there that could be field trial dogs. You know, mm-hmm. it's just situations where somebody needs a hunting dog more than field trial dog, or 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 uh, an injury that happened early in the dog's career. Um, you know, so so field trial to me is is, and we have different. You know, there's I do the horseback shooting dog field trials. Yeah. Uh, there's there's horseback all age uh, field trials. Those are for the the dogs that run are supposed to run a big uh, a, to to great lengths. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's German short hair trials. There's Vizsla trials horseback trials you know you have your walking and there's all kind of different um classes for field trial but i do the i do the horseback shooting dog and, and, um, and what type of range are you looking for out of your dog in those trials 
you know that that's hard to say because it all depends on the the venue that you're running at yeah um i for as a shooting dog i like to say this i want my dog to fill up the country and and be seen doing it with class okay Okay. uh all-age dog my definition for that is they need to go they need to fill up the country but they need to be out of sight and you need to find them on point when they're when you know you need to ride up a long ways to find them on point that's what you know they also need to fill up the country but fill up more than the country yeah you know yeah i, I think uh you know you know i like for the prairie trials up here i like my dog to be 200 250 yards yeah you know that's a good that's good ways those are those the, the chicken trials up that way right yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't want your hunt dog to do that, yeah. but at 200, 250 yards up here, you can see them do everything that they do. Mm-hmm. You know, down south, the cover's a little bit thicker, so you can't see them. You know, so I, I like them to be 150 to, to 250 yards. Yeah. You know, uh, there's are places where you can see them on on the venues that we run on. Um. So, you know. Going back to why field trials important is it's, it's because of the breeding. Yeah, you know, it's, it's for the better of the breed. Okay, um, okay, okay. Well, oh, the stigma of field trials. Um, you know, it's it's a sub. Um, it's judged two individuals, and you know everybody has opinion. Um, you know, so when when two individuals come together, to join. And judge a field trial with, you know, say forty entries in it. You know, you gonna have some dogs that do really good, and maybe some who one of the two judges that that likes this dog over another dog. And it's just because of their opinion, you know. Um, so that's that's kind of where field trial gets a bad name for itself. Is you got two judges. Uh, that that are judging a lot of dogs and you know a, a lot of dogs that are very good and you can you're just gonna have you know different opinions about it and mm-hmm. unfortunately them two judges are keen at that Pacific trial you know right and and it happened but you know I you know you think your dog does a really good job well he might have done a good job and just be happy with that. That your dogs please you. If you get if you get called to be the win, great. Right. If not, just say okay. I got another one next week. You know. Right. right. Uh, but uh, that's that's kind of where you know. And I'm not saying shady things don't happen, but you know, we we live in a sinful world. It's going to happen. You know, don't don't worry about it too much, and just keep on moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree, man. I mean, I um. You know, and that's what really drew me to, to, to wanting to get into field trials. Um, and and I, a buddy of mine, um, Daniel Howell, he uh, just invited me to um, Rocky Creek uh, field trials coming up in February next year. And it's under Dixie Trace and all of that stuff. So, you know, like it's I think it's going to be a good exposure. And, you know, from so I got a lot of work to do. Like I said, going down there with Neil and and getting this little pup, you know, hopefully used to running in front of a horse, 
Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a trial, but I like the competitive aspect of it. And, you know, even at the discretion of two judges, man, what I have seen and, and, and also some of the stories that I read in American Field, um, uh, who's it? Tom Word. He writes a lot about, yeah. you know, things yeah. like that. And they're, and they're cool. But I, I think for the most part, you know, you get judges like Frank Lanass and all of those guys. And you hear about so many good things that these guys do. And they, they seem to be real gentlemen, you know, as far as really looking at the dogs. Um, and even at the Georgia, Florida trials uh, this past year, the judges there were cool. You know, I don't, yeah. I, I think, no, I, go ahead. I, you know, I think we, we was talking about, you know, how it gets the wrong impression, but I think, I think 95% of the time the right dogs get named. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. You know, so it's a very small percentage that, that trials don't come out your way Yeah, about the right dogs being named. But, you know, overall, I think people try to do their best to get the right two dogs. Yeah. And, you know, um, that, you know, that's just the way it is, you know. Yeah. You, you can't see everything. Some people in the gallery might see something that a judge didn't, judge didn't see. The judge can only see or judge what the judge sees. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not supposed to speculate about what things happen. But, uh, but you know, yeah, I know Mr. Frank. He's an awesome guy. And, and you know, guys like them are great judges. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, so, you know, Phil mm-hmm. Trial's a great, great uh, community of friends, you know, I I compete against what I consider some of the best handlers and shooting dog that there'll ever be. You know, George Tracy, mm-hmm. John Kinkler, Mike, Mike Tracy, uh, you know, Doug Ray. There's some guys and some other guys that come really really great friends with me. That you know, we're competitive when we sit up on that saddle and blow the whistle on those dogs. But after the trial that day is over, we will sit around and joke and you know, there's there's good times at all. And that's that's the part of about field trial that is is so great. Is you have you have friends that you meet all over the country. Right. You know, and be just have good relationships with people all over the country because of, of, of a, your same likes and interests in bird dogs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in talking about just moving around the country and, and, and good folks, um, and, and, and I read a lot, of, I, I read a lot on different trainers, different judges. Um, I've been, I talked to a buddy, um, Ryan Mulcahy. I pretty, I talked to him pretty regularly. Um, and he was the one that actually got me hit to you. You know, he pointed me, he kind of sent me your direction. And I think, Matter of fact, you know, I wanted to give you a shout out because I got your hat on right now, too. But (laughs) (laughs) and I'm going to talk about that dog. But the day that I was talking about you, you sent me a message like, yo, that's my hat. Well, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, back to my my point, because, you know, I get derailed. I'll um, you you see these guys around um, the country, you know. George Tracy, you got Frank Lanassa, you got Kim Sampson, you got Ryan out that way. Um, you know, you, you've got them literally from coast to coast. So yeah. I want to talk about the dogs 
And Ryan and I have had this conversation about the style and performance of a dog um, on the West Coast versus dogs bred up north versus dogs down south. Do you think there's a regional difference in how they perform? Like a pointer born down here might naturally be a certain type of way versus one out west? Uh, No, I don't think there's... There's, it's the only difference is is how they were raised at what part of the country. Okay. Um, so, you know, I take a puppy down here that that is raised in the piney woods, and that and that's that's what he's mostly been been run on, and take him to the to the prairies of South Dakota. Well, in North Dakota, Montana. Uh, you know, there's not not a big difference. That it, it, but to me, there's not a big difference. Uh, the the birds can be in the draws, or in the in the top of the buttes, or on the sides of little ridges. They can be anywhere. Just like the quail can be anywhere in the piney woods. Oh, I, I, man, I can so, tell you. <laughs> so the the objectives is you know there is no objectives. The mm-hmm. dog has to use the wind in his favor anywhere and, and make a swinging cast that back and forth to the front to, to hunt the country. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the Midwest, there's a lot of edge country. Well, you gotta have, you gotta, those dogs in the Midwest have been run on the edges country. So they can, they, they have learned to take an edge, uh, for a long ways until they run across the scent of a bird. And, that, and then they put that together to 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 continue learning about you know running the edge you know that's where they find the birds yeah um, so to, I guess to answer your question is it just depends on the dogs training and the grounds mm-hmm. I guess where mostly where they train and train train at right. Um, I've never been out west where Ryan is. I've heard about Idaho and stuff like that where they have really rocky tops and the chuckers are way up there on the top of the rocky, almost seems like real rocky ground and seems like mountains the way they describe it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guarantee you my dogs would have no idea what to do <laughs> until until a couple times of running on it and then they figure out where the birds are and then they would they would – it may be competitive after I don't know how, how however long it takes takes them to, to figure that out. Right. Um, style for shooting dog, they need to be style. You know, they need to have really nice style, no matter the terrain, no matter where they are. High head, high tail. High head, high tail. But in field trials, you know, it's so hard to get the job done right that no, I don't want a dog with a even even tail on his back or low head but you know if the sucker goes out there and does it for an hour finds a pile of birds and stays to the front and there's not a there's not another dog that has come along and done it with better style then hey it's a it's to me it's the the job the the quality of job that gets done rather than just being stylish right and putting an okay performance down right now to say that you know a dog 
goes through there with impeccable style and does the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, you know, a dog with style should always overcome a dog with less style if the same job is is done. Um, I hope that answers your question. No, it, it absolutely does. Um, you know, and, and, and you actually, you keep leading me into my point, so I love it. Uh, <laughs> um, when we're talking about style, I was reading on stride away. Dang, who was it that I was reading? Anyway, um it will dawn on me shortly, but um, we were, you know, I was, I was reading um, Jack Harper. That's what it was. I was reading a, an article from Jack Harper, but anyway, he was talking about bird dog attributes and um, he was talking about the importance of a dog's eyes as, as much as it, uh, as he, as, as he needs to use his nose. And I, I think, I don't think that's really discussed a lot, you know, so in uh, and, and the nose is, you know, the, the number one supreme tool that we need for a dog. Right. You know, but a dog needs to be able to see what he was saying is a dog needs to be able to see and, and recognize objectives and where birds likely are, you know, in the event that. You know, certain maybe the wind doesn't hit him right or things like that. You just need a dog that's using all his facilities um, to its advantage. Right. It, it, I, I I agree one hundred percent with that. Uh, also, not only to see where birds are injectors, but to see me and where I'm trying to put him. You right. know, which direction my horse is going. Uh, field trial dogs, uh, the most the best tool you can have, the best thing that your your biggest tool is is the direction and motion of your horse. Mm-hmm. Dogs, field trial dogs, key off of that more than anything. Any voice command or anything for is getting them to go forward. Yeah. Um, you know. So yes, eyes are extremely important. When you know, yes, they learn in specific areas. They learn where the birds are just by visually seeing that if they don't have the wind in their favor. Um, and also, you know, out here on the prairies, a huge advantage for having good eyes and, and using eyes. You know, they're on a hilltop 300 yards away, and the wind is howling at 15 miles an hour, which is not uncommon. They need to be able to stop, look for you, see, they because they can't hear you at that, because I can hardly hear myself yelling. Right. When, when it's blowing like that, they can stop, see you, see the direction of your horse, and go to that direction. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I you know when people never talk about that, but that is very that is very important aspect of a dog. Um, and and I think that's why a lot of people come up here to just to you know they they talk about race getting dogs to go forward. Well. That's one huge advantage as a dog can learn very quickly up here how to go forward just by being able to see you easily rather than in the south where there's pine trees, you know, all over the place and high grass and all that where they can't see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, and moving from up there, so you're going to stay up there for how long? I usually leave here about the last week of September, first week of October. Okay. And you're in South Dakota. So 
September to October. Now talk about the circuit. I, I and I'm I I want to get into charitable deed too, but this is just it's really interesting to me the way professional trialers maneuver around the country. Right? There's this entire circuit, um, yeah. you know, and and it's great because I was just reading American Field and uh, they actually announced the the start of a new trial season. So yeah. How talk about the I guess navigate us through the the direction of the circuit. Well, direction of the circuit uh, is it starts from the north, goes to the south, and ends up in the north. Uh, we uh, so we're up here right now. Uh, the season is just about to begin. I'm gonna go to Circle Montana for the first trial of the season. Uh, that'll be August 26th is when that trial starts. So, the typically how people how they set up the field trial season is uh, when when everybody ends up north, the weather's cool, the birds are the birds have to mature more rapidly than birds in the south just because of the weather the weather conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so, trial season starts in the north, and if you typically it, it works down as the months go by. Just you know how the weather weather. I'm lost for words trying to get what I'm saying out right now. But it, it goes. It go, It's supposed to go down as the weather weather gets colder up north. Yeah, it's better. It's better in the south at January and February when up here in South Dakota they got negative thirty degrees. You know, right. <laughs> don't nobody want to run in that. Nobody's. I don't know how these people live up here during that. I definitely don't want to run a bird dog in that. Uh, so the trial goes up or, or, or starts starts up here, goes down south in the mid-January, February, and then starts going back up as the as the heat rises in the south by March. It's, by mid-March, it's pretty hot. And, you know, the trial season goes up. I think the last shoot dog trial of the year is um, – End of end of April, and it's in uh, Anola, Michigan. Okay, okay. So it, they just they just start up, go down for January, February, then start back up, and um, that's that's pretty much how how it was set up. So that's why field trial season starts August and ends uh, the that particular of, of accumulating points and starts August and ends at. Uh, end of april okay okay so that, that's how that works and 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 that's geez that's that's a whole season for me man sometime around november i'm down in thomasville trying to run <laughs> uh, it's, it's a long long season yeah um, man so you know in that you're carrying a lot of dogs with you and a lot of, of your own dogs what g- going from your puppies to charitable deed right what what do you think really determines um, what folks think a special dog is? Like you hear that a lot, but nobody's clarifying that. What what's a special dog? In my in my opinion, a special dog is a special dog's got brains, uh, which is intelligence. They have a, a a bond with you that is indestructible. Um, and they have a lot of bird sense, and they have a huge heart. 
Mm-hmm. When I heart, desire, a desire to hunt for you mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what defines a special dog to me. Okay. Um, and along with that, style, you know, style is, is a part of that. Um, but I would have to say um, the special dog is, is, is a bond with you that they have a desire to hunt for you at all times. So what do you, when, when we talk about that bond, and that's, that's the, one of the number one things, brains in a bond, right? Do you think, though, that that same dog can be so talented to where it's it's drive and however many generations of champion in its blood can override that bond and it start to become self-employed. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great dogs that don't really want to hunt for you. You know, they can have uh, they can have great days, but on a consistent basis, you know, they're not working for you every day. They're yeah. working for themselves. Um, the, 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 what makes charitable deed and thrill me, the, the my dog that won the national open shoot dog championship is every time I turn them loose, I know what I'm going to get. You know, they're going to stay to the front. They're going to point birds. They're going to be broke about it. Stay broke about it. And, and they're going to listen and handle to me. Um, they not they might not win every trial. That's you know because a lot of field trials has a, you know just lucky situations. You know whether the, the birds are moving at that hour when they run, mm-hmm. um, or you know does the place have enough birds? You know it, it is a lot of variations in that. But uh, and I and I should have said this when I was describing a, sp- a special dog um, is consistency. How consistent are they working for you? You know, for me, I want a dog to go. Every time I turn them out, I, I, I want to know almost what they're gonna give me. Mm-hmm. And, and a special dog, you know, that that's that bond. That's what I say when at that bond, um, they're gonna work for me uh, more than they work for themselves. Yes, they love love to point birds. That they have to have that. But they want it. They they love to point birds for me. And um, anyway, yeah. Uh, but yes, there's some dogs that can be you know too independent, you know. And and there's a lot of them are, uh, out there that are mm-hmm. just extreme, you know, talent. But they just in day out just work the time. You know, yeah. they want to be too independent, which they get out of pocket. Which I mean. They they get away, don't stay on course. May a big a big win one or two times a year, yeah. but a special dogs is one that you see that you see in the American field almost every month. You yeah. know they not a one a trial. They play second or third. Those are the special dogs because mm-hmm. you can't be consistent and win that many. You have to be consistent to win that many championships in in a six or seven year. You know. Uh, career right you know right uh, so those you know even dogs that win you know three or four championships with a lot of placements are, are I would consider special dogs yeah you know because they consistently win they don't or, or get placements uh, they might not win trials but they, they place in trials right um, and, and you can't 
you know, when you're competing against 40, 50, 60 dogs every week and you see those dogs, the same dogs in the American field consistently, those are special dogs. They have, they have the brain, they have the intelligence, they have the bond with you and they have consistency. Yep. Yep. So talk about the accomplishments of charitable deed and thrill me. Um, because those were two significant dogs that, um, you know, really kind of got my attention, right? When I would, you know, search your information, those were the two dogs that stood out and they definitely had a lot of success between, you know, almost back to back years. Yeah. Uh, but those are special dogs. Um, you know, I've, you know, in my entire career, I may not have two like them at the same time. Mm-hmm. I hope I do, but I may never have two like that in my career again at the same time. Yeah. Um, they, they're, they're special in this, in this, in the aspect that I just, I just named. You know, um, Rachel, uh, well, charitable deed. She's a three-time runner-up champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hasn't won a championship yet, but as a derby, she she won several several derby stakes. She placed in several derby stakes. Um, and and these dogs, uh, Thrill Me and Cherubal D, they're, they're, they just turned five years old. And so they're going into this, uh, I guess, a fourth. They'll be third, third, fourth as a, as a shooting dog. Right. Um, so uh, Cherubal D, three to runner up, uh, runner up in the Southeastern Open Shooting Dog Championship. At the Montana Open Shooting Dog Championship and the uh, Gulf Coast Shooting Dog Championship, she's won uh, the Dixie Open Shooting Dog Classic. Uh, she's gotten second in the Conecuh Station Classic. Uh, she's gotten third at the Dixie Open Shooting Dog Classic. Um, so she's pretty consistent in, in getting in getting wins. She, she hasn't won a championship, but um, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, Every time I turn her down, I have good feelings. I know I have a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Real, real me. Uh, she's won the Master Open Shooting Dog with eighty-one dogs in it. Uh, she just, she's the, she just won the National Open Shooting Dog Championship this past February. Uh, right before then, she won the Bama Classic Open Shooting Dog Classic. Uh, she got runner-up at the South Carolina. Open Shoot Dog Championship, um, and she's placed in a couple other I can't name right now. Uh, but anyway, yeah, she, she's she pulling weight though. <laughs> yeah, 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 she's she's doing a darn good job for me. She's she's making able where I can uh, pay for some baby diapers. Right. Because <laughs> look, you just laid named the whole uh, resume. I was like, God dang. <laughs> and, and I've got some. You know, I got a young dog. I'm really high on. She's she just turned three years old. Okay. Uh, Who am I? What's what's her name? I want to I want to keep my eyes on her. A Grand Prairie Thrill. Okay. Uh, uh, she's uh she's actually uh Thrill Me is her aunt. Okay. And Charitable D is her aunt on on opposite. Um, and her owner is Max Stidham. He's out of Columbia, South Carolina. Neither. Oh, her. You said owner, Max. Who? Max Stidham. Okay. Stidham. Uh, D H A M. Because okay. they're a huge part 
of, of, of dogs too. Fennelton mm-hmm. owns uh, Charitable Deed and Thrill Me, so he's got two heck of a heck dog uh, heck of dogs right there, and he's got another one. Uh, Thrill Me's just thrilling. Okay, okay, okay. So the name speaks for itself. I got some other ones that are are really good dogs, too. You know, they just, I don't carry a big string. Um, I carry like seven, eight dogs that I think can beat each other any given day. Okay. Um, I don't don't like to have 14 or 15 dogs where I know where five or six of them aren't going to win. You know, they may win, but likely they're not. I like this, you know, seven, eight dogs that that have a chance of beating any any dog on my string any day. Right. Um, that's a competitive, you know, field trial string for me. Right. Um, right. So, you know, when we are uh, charitable, deed was was the dog that caught my attention, obviously, because again, I'm a brag on your hat. Uh, that's literally the hat that I wear every day. It, it's like an inspirational thing or something like that for me. Um, but you know, I just, I'm, I'm always enamored and and kind of, I take a lot of pride in being from Georgia, right? Like I'm from Atlanta, but there is a history to all of us down here from Georgia. Um, I don't really care what part of the state you're from. There's kind of this nostalgia, but it's also kind of a mystique. You know what I'm saying? That you don't really hear a lot of people mention the state anymore but when you do they're top-notch trialers or something like that what is it about georgia history you know that that is so integral to you know the trial world and and bird dogs man well i guess it 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 has to start with the plantations of the south Mm -hmm. you know um you know where quail is king um you know so you know, bird dogs, you got to have quail to have bird dogs, really. Uh, so, and there's been some really, really prestigious trials in, in Georgia for field trialers. Mm-hmm. Uh, had to say one in, in Waynesboro, Georgia. Um, the Georgia, Georgia Open, uh, the Georgia All-State uh, is a huge championship. It's a, it's a huge derby championship for or the all-age derbies now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of the, one of the I think, three or four derby trials that are championships that qualifies an all-age dog for uh, the national shoot. Uh, no, sorry, the national championship, which is held at uh, Ames Plantation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, along with the Georgia all-age championship, there's Georgia shooting dog championship. I mean, these trial, those two trials have been run for years. Right years um and uh you know so then you go you go to the masters all age championship which is a it's it's one of the uh it's run on wild birds uh along with the all age championship you have the masters open shooting dog championship which is tell you the truth i think i think uh it is it, run on completely wild birds six courses run on wild birds and i think it's the Besides the prairie prairie champ prairie trials, it's it's one of two shooting dog championships that is run on wild birds, yes. completely run on wild birds. Um, then you have the southeastern 
uh, open all age and open shooting dog championship right there in Albany that are, you know, very prestigious trials to win. Um, and so, you know, I, there's been, there's been more trials in the state of Georgia, but they kind of, uh, before my time, um, you know, so, so Georgia holds a lot, a lot of bird dog trainers. There's a huge amount of, of field trialers in, 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 in the, uh, state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's some awesome trials to go along with that with, with the plantations of, of Albany and, and, and Thomasville, you know, for wild birds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I'm, I'm just, I just really enjoy South Georgia. Um, I almost, I almost kicked myself because while I was down there in college, I could have been focusing on dogs, and instead, <laughs> I was out there partying and stuff. <laughs> so, I uh, we all, we all got to get, uh, we all got to waste a little bit of uh, lives on on youth. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, man. I'm, I'm looking like, dang, I could have been down there meeting these guys, but you know, it, it, like you say, we all have to do that now. One thing I did not ask you, I want to talk about pedigrees from Thrill Me and um, Charitable Deed and, and talk about some of the pedigrees that you look for in a dog. Like, what are you pulling from? You know, um, I, I will pull from anywhere where I see a good dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Thrill, Thrill Me is out of just irresistible. Which goes back to uh, Funds Seekers Rebel, which okay. was a uh, national champion. Yep. Uh, kind of reb- a, a rebel bred dog. You mm-hmm. know, you hear you hear lines rebel bred. Uh, uh, you hear a lot of the term white dog, which goes back to you know Silver Bullet. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Silver Bullet, and and you know, the there's, a lot of lines, there's a lot a lot of white dogs that that are. You know, uh, the a lot of a recent one is uh, Lester Snow Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's what field trials say. White dog bred is a lot of Snow Watch. Uh, goes back to Bullet Silver Bullet, Mister Farrell Miller's breedings. He's mm-hmm. he's had several of those dogs. Um, he's had several of them that are produced a lot of a lot of champions, and 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 probably is one of the biggest line. Of, of 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 pointers in in the in the in the country. Yeah, he's been one that I have really wanted to like my next dog, my my female. I'm really thinking about um pulling from a Miller dog. I yeah. I'm I'm very interested in that. Um everything about Farrah Miller, I'm just all over it. <laughs> well, he's I've trained with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a puppy day in the spring that I try to go to. I haven't been able to go to in a couple of years. Um, he's a man when you when he talks, you listen about bird dogs. Cause, yeah. yeah, you know he's won everything, and and he was a he was an amateur doing it. You know, yeah, you know he wasn't doing it professionally. Yeah, uh, but he would he would kick your butt no matter who you were. Yeah, well, his dogs were trained well, bred well, and and he knew. He knows what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he still does. He he still knows what he's doing. I mean, he's I don't know. 
He's in his mid eighties and still works puppies almost every day. Right. <laughs> and and does it probably that's, that's, at the rate of somebody that's twenty. Right there. Yeah. Um, but uh, so so going back to the pedigree, Thrill Me is, is just irresistible, uh, which is a rebel bred dog, and her bottom side is a, a female I had that was out of Lester Snow Watch in a Calico Thrillogy female. So um, they got uh, they got a little mixture of all of it in there. Okay. Uh, Terrible Deed. Uh, her sire was Three Rivers, which goes back to uh, Sean Derrick's breeding. Uh, the um, Aaron, Aaron dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron's Whiskey River, or you know Aaron's you know dogs dogs of Sean Derrick's breed. Yeah. And her. A dam was uh, B.W. Molly, which is uh, uh, L.U. line. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, L.U. line, mostly a, a Fred Rowan. He had a lot of Cacique bred dogs. Tim Moore. Tim Moore was part of that, that breeding program. Doug Ray was part of that breeding program. And Fred Rowan was was the line, um the the breeders of uh Cacique dogs and and bw molly was a i think he was a litter mate to uh uh or or not maybe not a litter mate but full breeding to dogs of lug force um a lot of you know l hit bred bred dogs mm-hmm. so let me ask you about that too this is my little side tangent i promise you i ain't gonna get off too much um <laughs> all right so i'm a big fan of Robert Whaley. I'm a big Robert Whaley fan. Um, and my dog is coming from that. He's coming from Snakefoot, um, Strike, all of those, you know, Kiwi, all of those dogs. Old yep. LU stuff. Um, yep. What do you think, and this might be the debatable question of the hour, but, you know, it. What do you think about the newer LHU dogs and breedings? Because they're also discontinuing, um, you know, the name, of course. But what do you think about the newer dogs? And and are they up to par? Like when I think, and I, and I ask this because like I see a Miller dog, right? And all of those dogs are just, I mean, they're spitting out performance. Are the are LHU dogs on the field trial circuit still as competitive? Do you think? As they were back in the day. This is a topic that a lot of people can get really mad at. I think. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, no, I, 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 I may say something a lot of people might not like, but um, this is my thing. I think when Mr. Robert Bailey was breeding them, he was breeding really, really top quality dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this new stuff, which they've ended the line. I personally think they have inbred them. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it wasn't becoming line bred; it was coming inbreeding. And there's a fine line between inbreeding and line breeding. What's that now? I've, I've had this conversation. Go ahead. <laughs> well, as 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 humans, I wouldn't want to breed an aunt to a to a nephew or something like that. Right. And and that's how. My same philosophy on, on breeding dogs is is the same. I want a little bit of cross blood. You know, I, I may I may kind of stick to a line, but I don't want to get so heavy with that line that there are 
physical uh, um, physical problems with the dogs because mm-hmm. I've seen a couple some of those LHU dogs that there were some physical things wrong with them, um, and and so so I like you know I like a I like a cross. Yeah. Um, now now do I like line? One thing with line breeding, as far as trainers, and this is what Mr. Farrell Miller done so well, is that he could tell you how those dogs would progress during the training. Now, he knew what these dogs' temperament was. He knew, you know, what, what, you know, how they acted to certain training uh, techniques. So, line breeding is very good for trainers and, and for, for, you know, in the, in this aspect that you know what you're going to get pretty much with training that dog. Um, you know, when you, when you just crossbreed two outside dogs, you don't know what you get, you know, it's a gamble and really and truly breeding dogs is a gamble in itself, you know, cause you don't know how those genes are going to cross up and match and all that. Right. So breeding dogs is a very, very it's, it's in, in the best terms I can put it's a gamble because you don't really know what you're going to get you know alright guys I just want to do a quick shout out for Dakota 283 Kennels why because we have the stainless steel doors that everybody knows and loves many of our competitors have come out with a door that has very little ability to see the dog and very little ventilation also, we have really awesome locking components, and um, I think that's something you're going to want to look for when you're on the road with your dog. So again, shout out to Dakota 283 Kennels. You try and try and try to get a, a certain type of dog uh, with certain characteristics, and, and you might get the totally opposite of what you think, you know, because you know, really true is a good Lord. The good Lord knows what those dogs are going to produce. You don't have a clue what they're going to produce. Now, that's the only person that knows. Right. Um, so, am I, am, I, am I going on topic here? No, please continue. Like, this is what I wanted to hear. So, please continue. <laughs> so, okay, back, uh, back to the LHU and, and field trials. Uh, I like to have a little, little splash of LHU. I, you know, I think, I think they're very classy. Uh, they have a lot of class in them. They have a lot of snap in them. They have a lot of style. They're very pretty on point. They most of those dogs crack with a really cracking tail. At, for the shooting dog guy, that that's what I want. Mm-hmm. I want something when it hits the ground, it catches your eye. You know, you can't stop looking at it. No matter if it's doing a good job or not, you can't stop looking at it by the way that it moves. Yeah. Um. Um. So so you know, you know one. One line of LHU that I really, really like, and I try to have in my breeding, and there's several other guys that are really, really focusing on on getting these females, is is uh, uh, dogs that come, uh, females that come from LHU Swami, which come from uh, uh, LHU Sinbad dogs. Mm-hmm. Those are really good trial dog, trial bred LHU dogs. Um, and, and those are really, really good dogs to, to crossbreed with from, from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I've never had a lot of dogs 
from LU's side. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because there's there's been some I've dealt with that are really really they're really smart, almost too smart for their own good, uh, and they can be really soft. You have to be really really when you're breaking them, you have to be really really patient and really let them determine your next move. You know, uh, Miller bred dogs, they're machines. You know, they're 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 I mean they're wide open all the time going 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 right uh and and the rebel rebel bred dogs that i've seen are the same way they're just machines they keep on going keep on going keep on going uh you know discipline them hard and they say okay shake it off and keep on going you know mm-hmm. um with it, with the newer lu dogs that i've seen you got to be really really careful about what you do you know you've got to really watch them take a step back watch them and they'll they'll t- kind of tell you where they are when they're ready and and you know training dogs back to our earlier conversation in in the in the, in the podcast that can be hard to do you yeah. know yeah for for somebody who 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 gets a, a hard-nosed pointer and 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 pointers can be just robots machines hardhead suckers to go to a a, a soft dog you're trying to do the same thing for a hard hard dog to a soft dog. You're going to melt that soft dog within minutes. Yeah, you know, and yeah. and and a lot of those dogs that are soft like that, their memory is is long lasting. Mm-hmm. You know, they are almost they don't forgive easy. Right. You know, so you know that's that's what I have to say about it. Um, you know, there's a for field trials and hunt dogs. I think the LG LG breed is great for for hunting dogs. You know yeah. they they don't have. Uh, I'm not saying all of them. There's always exceptions to everything, but they're they're very handleable. They they stay with you good. They point birds and, and they work for you. Yeah. You know I, I know a lot of bird hunter guys that have them and, and love them and, and that's all they want. Yeah. And and there's a and there's a place for that. You know there's there's definitely a place for that uh, as a field trial. As a, as a personal field trialer, you know, yes, I would love to breed my own trial dogs, but, you know, the fact is that I will take a good one whatever line of breeding they come from. Yeah. Because they're they they hard to get. Right. Uh, well, you know, it, so. and, and you brought up a good point there, too. So, again, going back to my dog, and this is my first pointer, but... You know, we all know our dogs just like we all know our kids. Well, it, I, I, I had a very back and forth decision with myself, let's say, to start collar conditioning my dog, right? Like, you know, I, I had a couple of buddies kind of like, well, why don't you go ahead and throw a collar on that dog? I was like, no, just because, and my dog's not soft soft you know what i'm saying like he'll kind of shrug it off if you discipline him enough but he's also not a hard dog either you said he's probably right in the middle of the road you know yeah. you yeah. lay into him too much and now we got to stop training but yeah. you, you check him a little bit he'll he'll give you two or three times to, to work but you can also i can also see my dog tick you see what i'm saying like i see him processing and you know, even a tug at a pinch collar too hard, you run on the verge of breaking that spirit. So it's been a, a teeter-totter 
yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? Like, and, and now, of course, uh, he's he's collar, you know, conditioned now, and I was doing a good bit of barrel work, but, you know, I think a lot of times, and, I, and I'm guilty of it, I show a lot of my process, right? I, I do. Um, for a long time, I was showing a hell of a lot of barrel work because that's yeah. what it took. You see what I'm saying? Um, and I think we as trainers have to know when it's it's good to make that jump, right? Because it's one thing to have a puppy and have all of these expectations, but it's another thing to have these expectations, act on them, and now you done killed the dog spirit. Right. You know, um, and that and that would that is something that I've been actively learning, you know. Um, you know, well, and that's, it, uh, that's the experience mm-hmm. where reading books, but you don't really know how to train a dog until you train one. Yeah, right. Yeah, train dogs. There's a fine line between keeping them broke and breaking the spirit. Right. You know. Right. I so that's that's the art that I'm here. That's the art. Oh. Yep. Uh, a dog that's out of control is no good to nobody. It's not good to it's not good to you. You can't get nothing done. So, you know, you have to train that dog to to work for you. And and with that being said, there's there's a line that you have to toggle between before what is too much to break the dog's spirit, or what's just right to keep that dog the way you want him and to teach him, or what is way not enough and he just runs around on his own own terms you right, know right right um i mean i can go scenario after scenario when i talk about that man like flagging you know for hell two weeks ago my dog was flagging yeah and um, i was trying to process okay do i do this do i do this do i launch a bird with blah 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 and I think it came down to I still got a six-month-old dog that's just happy as hell to run, excited on point. And it, it for me, and, and it seemed to work out the best way thus, thus far, he's flagging a lot less because I'm letting him make his own decisions. Exactly. Uh, a dog that flags to me is a dog that has not been in enough birds to learn what he needs to do with them. Mm-hmm. He, he, he loves them. He's happy about them. Um, but he's, to me, he's not had enough opportunity to, to run and to, and to find birds on his own right. to, to be there staunch on point. Right. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's a, that's a flagging can be man-made. A lot of times flagging is a, is a man-made problem. Mm-hmm. And, and and for me, it's just trying to break them too early. Mm-hmm. And uh, that and that's exactly what it came down to. I was like, okay, first of all, the why? Why is my dog doing this? Okay, or am I am I putting the, the the collar and all of that stuff on them too soon? Okay, probably so. And I just messed around and and, and like I said, I went back to that Farrell Miller, you know, Neil Carter uh, pigeon pole. Yeah, and just let them have a good time. Yeah, Throw it that, off. That's 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 exactly right. Um, to me, the collar is the best 
tool you can have, and and I would not be afraid to use it. But you have to teach the collar to them. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people today are afraid of the collar, and 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 just because they don't know exactly when to use it, electric collar is probably the best invention for dog training ever. Um, just because if you use it right, you you can go. Dogs that I break, I never have to beat or anything to get them, you know, pull ear or, or pull collar or whatever. I use it all electricity. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, and I'm blessed in that situation to have all these place, great training grounds that I don't have to have the pigeons and all that. You know, I feel like when I should put a collar around the – on the, a collar around the dog's neck is when he's big enough to run off. Right. You know, the, the collar to me is, is a tool to save his life because a dog that runs free will get hit by a truck, run off, die, something will eat him. You know, who knows what happens, mm-hmm. but if I can teach him commands with the collar, everything's good. You know, everything will be good. Uh, my commands are come here and and whoa and eventually I'll get to heal when they get several years older right. uh, come here uh, is a word that I use when I want them right here with me and and I teach them that with the collar uh, and and my advice for people with the electric collar is start from zero you know you have with these collars today, you have a tone, mm-hmm. which all is all it is is a vibration. So, you know, if you don't want vast amounts of ground to run and turn loose, do it in a yard. Let the puppy have fun. Put the you know put the collar on them. Let them have fun, and just work your way from from the tone all the way up. If if the dog see, let me let me backtrack. When I break my dogs to come here or teach my dogs to come here I start at zero which is the tone mm-hmm. and if I don't see a change in their body I go up to a one and I shock them yep. if I don't see a response if I see a response at one I let go I don't care if it's the right response or the wrong response all I'm looking for is a response whether it be a twick of the neck or a change of the direction. That's all I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll give them a little time, give them five or six seconds, and I'll call their name and 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 hit them one again. And if they don't do nothing, I go up to it. I gradually work work my way up for what is necessary. And you'll find a lot of times the not. Area at all. I can hold. I can hold a tritron or a Garmin collar in my hand and and press it on two, and it just tickles. Mm-hmm. Um. So so collar uh, e collar conditioning is very very important. Yeah. Um. So all with that with that young puppy, all I want is a change of direction or a a change. Of something in their right. and then I let off. 
right. until I get the re- right response. And you'll get it quicker than you think if you do it that way. Right. I, I um, that's actually exactly what I did. Um, and I, I still don't train with it on all the time, man. I just, I don't. Um, yeah. And that was because I found myself again, getting caught up in my own head, trying to move a little bit too fast. Yeah. And, and it's great. I didn't, you know, burn them up or nothing like, yeah, I just yeah. put a, a collar on out, but Again, I know my dog, and all right, let me make this fun again. Like, this doesn't have to be work. Yeah. You know, um, and, and I started um, working them with it when I was doing it. Um, on the barrel, I started with a, a tone to vibrate. Nothing, you know, nothing happened. As soon as I hit one, a high one, he kind of looked like, what is that? Okay, cool. Yeah. Now we, <laughs> now we got an answer. Okay, um, you know, working him, he was running, but but it's different when that dog is on the ground and scenting and all of these distractions. So he, oh yeah, you know, went from a, a, a high one and it was running through a two. Yeah, you know, and so you 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 played a back and forth game with it. So I just kind of notated that he he stops at about a low three. Yeah, well, you gotta you gotta count for the adrenaline part of it. Right. When he's working where he's hunting. He's building adrenaline. Right. Right. So, you know. You know what happens when we catch a you know a, a adrenaline? We don't really feel it as much as we would without the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, you gotta count for that. Right. Um, but uh, always, it's, yeah, like like you did. It's always best to work work your way up right. until you get a response. Now, I ain't going to hold too much more of your time. I got two last questions if you can stay with me. <laughs> no, I can stay with you for a long time. This is fun. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Well, we rocking and rolling, man. I um, I want to ask one more question about the collar and then talk about uh, females because you mentioned that earlier, um, females in the breeding program. But, um, you know, I see a lot. I like the collar on my dog. I'm running a, a, a Garmin uh, Pro 550 plus. Um I like the collar when I do use it on his neck, but you see a lot of guys on the flank too. Um, it, it seems to me a matter of preference, but what do you think about that? I use it on the flank and on the neck, okay. and, and 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 this is this is my philosophy on it. Um, they're both teaching tools. Um, I don't want a dog to get confused with one command over the other command. Um, I put the I, I keep one on the neck when the first co- first collar they get each collar they get as a puppy is on the neck. All that is is come here. Mm-hmm. You know when I, when I call come here, come here to me or change direction of my horse. You know just get the attention of changing direction when they're running or or to come to me when I call them. Uh, now I don't put the the collar around the flank until I've taught them to woe. So. When I'm trying to break them, they know exactly what I'm asking for. They feel a, a nick on the neck. They know to change direction or to come to me. And then when I ask them to woe, they know that it comes from the flank. Mm-hmm. I just make that, that those two commands different, that they know which one to do instead of confused because I've, I've seen dogs get confused by when they haven't been haven't had the time spent with them that's needed 
beat those ones. You try to do the come here and the woe on the neck. Mm-hmm. Now, I've seen dogs when, they, when you're trying, they're not wanting to come with you on the horse, and you shock them around the neck, and they stop. They freeze. Well, you got to go back over there and go get them, get them free up to go with you. Then you do it again, they do the same thing. Well, that, that's the, they're thinking that you want them to stop uh, instead of come in. So that's that's why that's why I think most people do the, the collar around the flank is to make it earlier, just make it easy for those dogs to distinguish which command I'm asking for. Right. Now, eventually... When my field trial dogs in a workout, I'll, all I do is put a collar around their neck and know what woe means. And I'm very, very, I'm a, I'm a stickler about uh, uh, my woe command. You know, when I say woe, that means freeze. Mm-hmm. I don't mean in, in three seconds or, or three minutes. That means right now, freeze. Stop, all four feet on the ground, freeze. You know, I'm, I'm very... Uh, I don't. I don't allow dogs to just kind of slow down or or wiggle around when I whoa whoa means free, you know. Because in trials, it's or it can get you disqualified. You said you said in trials. What, say that last part again. In trials, what now? In in, in trials, I found out the how dog how good a dog responds to whoa can save a, save that dog's performance or it's just you know in some some situations that you know you see that the dog don't doesn't see right um so whoa is a very you know command that i really want the dog to learn um so that's the way i teach them early on in their in their young age is mm-hmm. the difference between when i say whoa and when I say come here, yep. come here is on the neck, change the direction is on the neck, woe is on the flank. Yep. Um, so that's what I feel about that. Okay. Do, you, do I think you can have the collar around the neck the whole time? Yes. But, but you have to be, you have to, you just have to really, really, you know, make sure your dogs know the command that you're asking for. Mm-hmm. And, and when I'm trying to break these dogs steady wing shot up here on the prairies, when I start stopping them on birds from chasing, you know, they can, I raise my hand up and I say, whoa. And if they don't, whoa, I'll, I'll nick them onto the flank and they stop. Mm-hmm. So I just make that distinguish, make them is make it easier for them to distinguish which command I'm, I'm asking of them. Right. Right. Now that's that's actually very good. I um, like listening to Affero Miller, man. He was talking about that, like the difference between using it on the neck and then using both. Um, and so I've always been interested in that. Um, you know, and, and it's it's always good to know the ways in which you can make a dog's life easier. Yeah. You know, because that's that's really what it's about, man. Um, oh yeah. You, yeah, you know, you you want to help the dog out as much as possible mm-hmm. to make this process, you know, easy as possible. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know, I learned, you know, when I was growing up, my dad didn't do the flank collar, and I saw that problem a lot, you know, 
you know, dogs, young dogs, young dogs, old dogs get it. You know, once they have the experience and exposure, they 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 learn to understand it. But young dogs are the are the ones that kind of get kind of get held up during that stage. Mm-hmm. And and I've seen young dogs regress back instead of going forward just because of that that problem. Right. Um, so. Right. Uh, that's that's why I do it, and I I didn't I learned that you know I learned that from Fair Miller and Jamie Daniels and you know yeah. you know all the a lot of other professional handlers. Yeah. You know I've always you know I always looked at that and said why why do you do that you know that's 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 just weird, but I didn't I didn't understand the concept, mm-hmm. and when it was explained to me what I explained to you. It made perfect sense. Yeah, that made perfect sense to me. <laughs> um, you explained that very well. Um, and it's very clear, you know. Um, it, I, I, I just like the way that you broke that down. Um, I mean, you can use it. Some people use it. Some people don't. It's, you know, that's just part of learning to be your own trainer. What mm-hmm. works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, one of the the, the other major questions um, that I that I had, and and you were talking about earlier, how a lot of trainers were getting females out of um, you know particular dogs and and, and things like that, like um, you know LH dogs and things like that. But you mentioned females, right? What? How? It seems to me that when I when I listen to you guys and, and I cover and I and I do my coverage and and I'm always researching and trying to figure stuff out, you guys always talk about females in a in a in a pedigree, right? Yeah. Why are they so important? You know, what is it about that? Well, I think I think a pup gets about and I don't know the stats, but I think they get about 60s and 65, 75, you know, 70 percent of the genetics from the mother. Okay. Uh, I know in in race horses they've done studies where it shows that, you know, the race horse industry. Um, you said the race horse industry is what now? Uh, it's huge about who, what the mayor is, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. sh- studies have shown that I think the coat, the foal gets. You know, sixty-five percent of genetics from, and I think it's almost the same uh, for for dogs too. Right. Well, and I, I, you mentioned that I do a lot of, I correlate a lot of racehorsing to dog training. Like that's kind of my wish that I could do it type of passion, right? I listened to it, went to the Derby this year, so on and so forth. Um, yeah. And it seems to me like you. I'm glad that you mentioned that because. There is a lot of correlation, so you think that it's very similar um, as far as the mares and the and the, and the foals, and then a, a, a dam and the puppy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so where where do you think the placement is as far as the male in that breeding? Because there, you know, there's you see a lot of you see a lot of folks with male dogs, but then there's like a premium put on females when they're selling them, you know? So where, where do you think, what do you think the role of the male dog is trait wise? 
Oh, you know. I, Sorry I if I'm getting too deep on you, sir. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a great question, and I wish I had a whole life to devote that. Uh, but but uh, unfortunately, I'm just an old dog trainer that that, <laughs> that kind of just goes along and and goes on, on what I see. Yeah. The male the male is very important, you know. For for me, this is what. And I don't know. A lot of people are a whole lot more knowledgeable than this than, than me. You know, there's there's folks out there that that will read off pedigree, and you know, just I mean, I can't even follow them. They're, it's so beyond my knowledge mm-hmm. uh, about about lineage and genetics and what the what the dam brings and what the sire brings. Um, but you know, a lot of people like stud dogs. You know, a group. Because I think that's where the money and breeding is is stud fees. Yeah. Uh, so so everybody wants that strong forced field trial. You see a lot of a lot of male dogs get kind of get more of an opportunity to than, than the females, just because of I think it it goes boils down to stud fees. Yeah. You know, you get a great stud dog. You know, you're charging thousand dollars. To, to breed to them and you and you and that dog you know just say breeds 15 15 dogs less well, that's 15 dollars to the owner or the handler or whatever they have worked out mm-hmm. you know, so that that's the money part of it i think um for what i want i want a very good thing when i when i go to breed a litter i want i want to i want to breed the best female i have to a dog that makes, to a stud dog that makes her holes better. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if I have a, for me, the, the, the stud and the dam have to have two qualities. They have to have a very good nose, first of all, and they have to have intelligence. Mm-hmm. If they're quirky or weird, uh, that's a no-go. I'm not breeding that. Uh, they have to have a, a. They have to find birds on a consistent basis. That's the two things that I must have in the in the two dogs that I breed to. Um, the, so, if I have a female that okay, she has a good nose, she has intelligence. Okay, well she lacks on power and and or endurance. I want to take take her to a dog that has to a stud dog that has a. A good nose, intelligence, and and is powerful on the ground. You know, so so when I breed, I want to complement my female with a male with a little bit better, at, you know, characteristics than she has mm-hmm. to make her better. Right. Um. You know, saying that, you know, you know, who knows? Like we said, I like I said before, it's all a gamble. Right. You know, but. That's what I've had best luck with, um, you know. And then you get into the topic of, you know, what's the line of dogs to breed to, and I kind of like, I, I like a little bit of cross. I don't like to line breed too heavy, um, but you know, I you know, I don't I don't want to just cross out everything all the time too. I mm-hmm. think there's something there, there is something to line breeding. It shows up in, in race horses and, 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 and bird dogs all the time. Right. So there's there's something to it, uh, right. very much so. But um, 
I'm not no expert breeder. Uh, <laughs> I like your response, though, man. Like I'm, when I tell you, I just I'm I'm really impressed with the work that you're doing, um, and I'm a bit of an Instagram stalker, FYI. So <laughs> I kind of looked through all your stuff, um, you know, read about the work that you're doing, man, and I really think, you know, you are, you know, making a, a hell of a mark, you know, it, as far as the bird dog community. Um, it, it was an honor for me to have you on here um, just because I, I like to talk to the guys that, you know, I like to talk to our generation of, of dog folks, you know, like yeah. 30, 40 years down the road, you know, I, I just wonder what type of knowledge will be out there and how many more successful dogs you will have had, you know, that I'm that I'm planning on keeping up with, you know, and then, of course, you're from Georgia, man, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I got to put on for the state. <laughs> I hear you. Well, it, it's this has been this has been very fun uh, to to have a conversation with you about this stuff. You know, and and you know, I I hope God has blessed me more years with with the success I've had in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I hope I hope at one time that we're the we're the old geezers, you know, yep. shine some light on on a bunch of young young people who's enthousi- enthusiastic about bird dogs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I think that's a kind of a, uh, a dilemma that we have as a as a field trial uh, upland game hunting, uh, you know, industry yep. is 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 how we gonna pull young folks out of all the other stuff to to this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just to, just to say something about that, you know, there's the state, the Dixie Trace or, or uh, field trial organization is, is starting the youth trial this year, nice. uh, a youth circuit. Uh, and, we, and, and, and a buddy of mine that trains up here in South Dakota with me and at, at in uh, Thomasville, Jason Loper, we started a youth trial in Thomasville uh, in the spring. Nice. Uh, uh, we're, we're trying to, trying to get that going, you know, just to, just to keep kids, you know, just to get kids knowledgeable of what we do because yeah. it's an amazing sport. You know, you're mm-hmm. dealing with, you're dealing with animals, you know, what, what more pure fun can you have than dealing with a bird dog? And if you like a horse, ride a horse. Right. Know? Well, um, I mean, let me know, man. I don't, I don't know if I, if I can promote it on on my platform or help out. Like, let me know if I can, you know, help push that, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think I'll give you some more information uh, later and, and let you push that a little bit. But uh, you know, we we we've had a youth trial down here for two years, and we've had I think we had eight kids one day, and then or, or one the first year, and I think we had thirteen the next. Nice. And, and and it's you know it's a it's my favorite field trial of the year. Okay. I don't have any skin in it. I just sit up there and tell those kids you know where to go. Uh, they run on my training grounds, and and I just tell them where to go, and it's a, it, it's a blast. Yeah, uh, I mean, I have more fun that day than I do winning anything else in in the country, you know. And uh, like I said, the Dixie Trace uh, Field Trial Club is uh, starting a youth circuit. I, you know, really and truly, anybody, any kid who wants to participate is welcome to it. Yeah, um, I think there there will be people who who will you know. 
let let the kids borrow a dog if, if they want to to do that you know so it's uh it's it's just a part of giving back to the sport that 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 has helped me start and and what i love and, and what other people in the field trial and bird dog upland game hunting community love about it you know it's mm-hmm. really about fellowship and and and, and bird dogs right right but anyway it's been a it's been a blast talking to you, Darrell. Man, you know, I've been, as soon as you gave me a buzz, you're like, hey, I still want to do this. I was like, all right. <laughs> when you, you know, you see how quick I hopped on that. So <laughs> I, uh, I I really enjoyed talking to you, man. And, you know. When, you, just, when you're down in the south, just shoot me a text and you come come train with me if I'm training or whatever, man. All I'm right. More than, more, heck, might get you up here to come hunt. Uh, some sharp tails or something one day, man. Please, I really want to, man. Well, I'm, I'm definitely gonna take you up on that. I'm gonna bug you now. Um, no, go ahead, bug me. I get you up here quick. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna definitely be, you know, calling, text, so on and so forth. But we can shoot, you know, chat and shoot the shoot the bull about some dogs, man. I and I definitely want to keep track of your uh, progress, man, on the trials. Like, well, I hope. You know, I hope hope there's a something to keep track of. You know. <laughs> oh, it, it will be. <laughs> it will there's be, man. Time. Well, you know, Tommy, is is there anything that I can leave? Like, how can folks get a hold of you and and, and find you on you know website, the, the internet, and anything, man? Uh, I, I'm trying to get a website going, but the best thing to do is is Facebook or Instagram. It's uh. Facebook account uh, Tommy Rice and I got a little face I guess the side Facebook uh, Diamond R Kennels um, and then Instagram is is uh, Dr Kennels okay uh, and and you know just me- message me on that or or Facebook me or you know um, you know something like that that that's pretty much the easiest way to get at me I I do a lot of Instagram stalking to myself yeah. <laughs> cool down a little bit from dog training and stuff like that well i, I like pictures of it I, I hear it man well i'm a, um like i said i will be down um hunting in thomasville you know when it, when the season opens up i'm gonna hunt thomasville and um i got barber county and boggy hollow in alabama that i'm gonna hit you know try okay. to hit pretty hard too so you know we um let's stay in touch and try to coordinate that you know, because, I mean, you know, whenever you're back, whenever you get back to this side of the country, you know, I want to link up with you, man. Yeah, yeah, come come to field trial, train, whatever you want to do. Okay, okay, okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast with Mr. Tommy Rice. I will catch y'all next. You know, kind of add to the Gun Dog Notebook. Um, I've been kind of thinking about this a lot, and I read a lot. I'm one of those, uh, one of those bird dog book, you know, trying to be connoisseur kind of guys. Um, but I found it really does help me out um, and help my understanding. But I also really like history, so I'm one of them folks that, you know, my wife and I read a lot of documentaries and. Uh, not read a lot, watch a lot of documentaries. Um, and we're just, you know, really big into history, um, bird dog history, African-American history. 
Um, so I'm always, you know, got my, I always got my nose in a, in a book. So from now, and I hope you guys enjoy it, but from now, you know, going forward, if it, you know, works out well, I'll be doing a segment, um, on each of my podcasts as, as much as we can, uh, called books of bird dogs. All right. And I want to start with two that are like, you know, crucial to my growing bird dog library. Um, one I've had for a while, Quail and the Quail Dog by Ozark Ripley. And it, it's, it's, it's copyrighted in 1924, the Sportsman Di- uh, Sportsman's Digest Publishing Company. And the other book I want to talk about is Bird Dogs and Their History and Achievements by none other none other than A.F. Hotchwald, okay? This was copyright 1922, Sportsman's Digest out in Cincinnati as well. Um, The reason I want to start with these two books is because both of these gentlemen were there during the early days of of, of bird dogs. Um, And so often do we talk about history and things like that, you know, and all of this nostalgia, but I have yet to hear, and you know, anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've yet to hear anybody really delve deep into the literature that we all love and American Field. So I get their um, their magazine and publication every week, you know, and I'm, I'm keeping up with field trials and getting into it myself. Um, there's a lot of really good history and a lot of things that have paralleled um, with the confirmation ring, the field trial ring, um, and just the hunting, you know, circle. And all of this stuff is kind of full circle, right? Um, So these two books I wanted to start with because to me, they kind of exemplify the foundation of of what we all do. You know, Ozark Ripley and A.F. Hotswalt, they were just pinnacle in into getting the knowledge that we all have now and af hodgewalt was actually one of the the uh first i guess reporters or journalists if you want to call it for the american field so with that being said i want to go ahead and start with quail and the quail dog um and go into some some literary notes that i kind of took all right so I'm going to jump around um, and I'll stay on this book. If you guys like this, I'll stay on these two books for as long as you know you want to. And then we'll move on to the next. It's, I plan on doing this podcast for a very long time. So we're in no major rush to get through it. You know, I almost would like to think of it as kind of like a book club, you know. And um, yeah, so on page 83... The chapter um, in the Ripley book, Starting a Youngster, there was a piece that I underlined. Now, mind you, I almost kicked myself in the butt for marking these books, but I'm going to have them forever. And I hope my my kids, um, you know, can look at it and see the notes that I underlined and marked through and starred and all kinds of stuff like that. And I, I hope <laughs> that they find what I found valuable. I hope they see some value in it, too. Um, But on page 83, Ripley notes that the best advice, and I quote, the best advice 
that can be offered to the amateur is to take his time with the dog's education and proceed step by step. But again, the first lesson is to learn yourself, your weaknesses, and before you start instructing a young dog, remember to sacrifice temperament for the good of the pupil. Go about it with the artistry of a workman. Never get angry at the part of the establishment which seems to crumble and totter, but always be willing to start anew. Work mechanically. If a pupil fails to respond readily, follow on perseveringly as if it were a vast pleasure instead of an irksome task, which with some it is. Then you will have assimilated training poise and are sufficiently well prepared to start any dog for any kind of shooting. Okay, so I also had a listener, Paul Granillo, Granillo, um, pardon me if I butchered your name, but he's definitely a um, listener of the podcast and asked me if I was going to kind of talk about my training transitions with Vegas. And that's why I kind of wanted to highlight that particular part of um, the Ripley book on page 83. All right. So what what that did for me was kind of help me rethink what it is that I'm doing with Vegas. Right. So beforehand, Vegas was doing just fine. He's a seven month old pup. Um, and I, I, I preface this, all of this by saying, don't put too terribly much pressure, too, too much pressure on your dog. Um, and I found myself doing it, you know, inadvertently, um, just expecting my dog to do much more and be much more than where he was at, you know, at his age. Um, and I think that's normal. You know, I think that's normal for folks to want to get into. And and this is not like a how-to, a training thing, this and that. I'm just really trying to kind of detail my experiences and hopefully others find value in it. Um, you know, I believe in being transparent. So with Vegas, um, I started seeing that he was losing a bit of intensity on his points. Um you know, and, and I was doing certain things. I was using a bird launcher and I love it to death. The the remote launcher that I've been posting about for a while, um, it's a great tool. And I still will probably in, integrate it later on down the road. But for right now, I needed to focus on what's most important. Well, when you've got a launcher, the birds aren't necessarily going out the way you need them to. They go up, they go down. There's so many different little moving parts to it. Um, that they started to become a, 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 a hindrance, you know, for me, which in turn would affect my dog. Um, for people that use the bird launcher, it's awesome when you do it correctly. Well, there were so many different moving parts in a learning curve and I still needed to get my dog drained over the summer. Um, I decided to kind of put that back down and, I was talking to um, my buddy Ryan Mulcahy, and also talking to uh, and, and and talking to my buddy Paul um, Paul Cook, and you know just kind of bouncing some ideas around and things like that, um, and they were very 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 helpful, and they were even noticing, you know, Vegas is fine, but there's some things that you could, you know, kind of work on. That tail is a, is a direct indicator 
Um, and early on, his tail was, was, was doing well. He's coming up. But I wanted it to be much closer to 12 o'clock. Well, what happens is there's so many influences that I have from just podcasting um, and talking to so many people. I think I started getting into my own head. So what I did was actually call, um, you know, the one and only Neil Carter. And I called him because he's somebody that I truly look up to. And I believe that everyone should have that one person, mentor, friend, whatever you want to call it, that can identify that you can identify with. Um, and by this point in time, you guys know how much he means to me. Um, you know, as an up and coming, you know, handler, trainer, um, you know, I, I, and I've always looked up to him. Well, I call him on the phone. I start going over, you know, my situations and my, my problems. And he was like, well, put the launcher down for a second after you put that launcher down and he doesn't use a launcher at all, um, go to the pigeon pole. Okay. So he has a pigeon pole that's about 20 feet tall. Um, you use cane or I use PVC pipe, um, with a little eye hook screwed at the top with a 50 foot line of nylon string. Um, that string, of course, will be attached to your pigeon. And because he trains by himself, he needs as many controlled situations as possible to help that dog develop on its own. And I thought about it, and I had that pigeon pole set up in my backyard. Um, but notice that I started veering away from using it. Um, don't know why. I mean, it was there. I, I really don't remember why, but... Went back to that and he was like, you know, work the dog on the pole two or three times. If he, you know, at his age, if you get a point out of him, you know, a, a consistent point, you know, and it's intense, you know, even if, you know, I, one out of the two times is even a sight point, you know, so you get a scent, you get a sight point, you know, consider yourself moving in the right direction. And then, I added to that tall pigeon pole, I call it a tall one. I was watching the Farrell Miller uh, on Common Sense Bird Dog Training DVD, um, courtesy of my buddy Joe Plody, um, who also sent me a gift for my daughter's birth. Thank you, Joe. Um, in that video, he had a shorter pigeon pole in which it was probably a four or five foot pole and at the end of it, maybe a two foot line connected to a pigeon and you can throw it into the bush and you can go and pick it up and, and wave it up and down and get the dog to start pointing. And in, on, in both scenarios, the dog is check corded. So I started out with the short one and was letting Vegas, I, I hooked him up to the check cord and just let Vegas run around in, in the brush and in the woods you know, tell him to go hunt, do his thing and keep the bird out of his sight, put it in a little black bag. And when he's far enough off, I'll walk to some cover. And while I'm holding the pole, uh, place the bird in some pretty thick cover. Then, you know, Vegas will use the wind, come back around while he's still on the check cord, of course, 
and boom, he would hit point. And that's what I was looking for. I mean, he hit it hard too. I mean, hit it had nothing to do with it. When I when I, I realized when I stopped trying to when I stopped trying to add all of the elements that weren't working to my training and simplify it. Most of y'all saw my posts and things like that. I was talking about it was very simple. Simplifying the training process, he hit the point. And of course, if he if he broke. I just lift the pole up and let the bird flush and things like that. And after, after, you know, two or three sessions that week, he started pointing further out as soon as he hit. And of course you're, you got to work him in the wind the correct way and, you know, work him downwind and all kinds of stuff like that. Well, once that wind slapped the dog and the scent slapped the dog in the nose, I mean, slap the dog in the nose, I'm talking too fast. Um, I mean, it was, it was like night and day. He, he, he would tense up that tail would get going. And that was the dog that I had, you know, been looking for. And I felt pretty good about that performance. And I mean, he would, he would start pointing out probably, you know, three or four feet from the bird. And if he got too close, you know, I'd flush it and he would start thinking about it a little bit more. Um, and then once I could tell he was hitting the scent and, and, and kind of going against his instinct, um, I would drop the pole at, as he was pointing and, and step on the check cord so he couldn't break. Um, and if he decided to creep, pick him up, move him back three or four feet. Now, there's some people that don't agree with that, but that's what worked for me. Um and I've been doing that for about two weeks now, if I'm not mistaken, about two weeks, you know, and then you cover the dog's eyes, you know, make sure you can't see and throw the pole off somewhere else in some pretty thick brush and hold the check cord and, and, and let him do his thing. And boom, he hit the point again. And after a while, that dog would let me walk around him, you know, brush him up, touch him and do everything. And all of that comes from working him on the barrel, getting him used to me touching him. And I could pick the pole up, you know, wave it around and do this. And the dog would stay, you know, on point. You do that two or three times. Um, now, one observation that I also had from Ryan Mulcahy, and I appreciate him for it. He told me, dude, you're training too often. Two or three times a week is is just fine. Hell, two times a week is just fine. Keep him short. He's a pup. And again, I'm I'm guilty of it because it's my first pointer. Loving the training, it gets very addicting. So I also had to be mindful of that. Um, keeping him fired up. Also, um, I moved to the tall pigeon pole, the one that Neil Carter was telling me about. And that was just an extended version of what I was doing with the short one. You know, so this time I could, and I could take both poles wherever I want to, whatever training grounds. Um, with the tall pole, it was white. It's just white half inch, um, you know, PVC pipe, uh, about 15, 20 feet tall, you know, real flimsy. You know, you get that half inch so it's tall and real flimsy so, so the bird can fly off. And I actually didn't like using white nylon 
I liked, I, I figured I wanted something that a dog would not see as an objective. You know, he wouldn't just run right to, um, you know, dogs are smart, man. And I, I, it's, it's just the things that I was paying attention to my dog catching. Well, I spray painted the white PVC pipe. I spray painted it black and that helped out a ton. Um, so I can plant it in whatever field and it just looks like something else, a part of the field. And I used camo um, nylon string from Home Depot or something. You can get it in 50 foot lines. If you've got any questions, just reach out to me and I can tell you exactly what I did. Maybe this, this helps you guys. Well, at 50 feet, you have you have room to move the bird out even farther. You don't have to worry about losing them because, of course, the bird is tethered. Um, and you can work by yourself. And then at that point, you're just doing the same thing that you did with a short pole. Um, you know, if he creeps, pick him up, move him back a couple of feet, brush him up, and you don't have to put a whole hell of a lot of pressure on him. So I've noticed a huge difference, you know, with my dog and, and his progress, and I'm really proud of him. Um but I also mentioned a second ago that I, I was speaking to Paul and, you know, something that stuck out to me and I, I, I keep, I hold true to this and I firmly believe in this, but Paul was, you know, he's always been really, really encouraging. He's a good friend of mine. I hope I get to scout for him one day in a field trial and he come down here. We've got a lot of hanging out to do, but he mentioned that, you know, puppies are very forgiving. And, and, and I, I do believe that is very true for those of us guys that are either on our first bird dog or working on bettering ourselves in whatever capacity. You know, when you've got a dog under a year old, as long as you haven't beat the spirit out of them, you, you stand a very good chance in being able to redirect your training, which is exactly what Ozark Ripley was talking about you know, um, in the book, you know, going further on page 83, he says a young dog is seldom hurt by early efforts at training. More bad results accompany, accompany hunting a young dog too long at a time and before he is sufficiently matured to stand the pace. It slows him up, though it, this suits the shooting of many. But with, fat, with the fast goers, and you aspire to a real classy dog later on, much care must be exercised and the dog should be given a free reign until he is at least 18 months old. Now consider the fact that I got a seven month old pup. That is exactly what I'm talking about. So, you know, if you're, I say I'm making a lot of different points. If you're going to have friends listen, you listening to, you know, make sure you trust them and, and things like that. But, you know, make sure their work is proven, which I think Ryan's and Paul's um, and Bud Moore and Farrell Miller and, of course, Neil Carter's work is all proven. Um, but just don't move too fast and be OK with making that transition. So with that, that is a piece of Ozark Ripley's uh, Quail and the Quail Dog, um, pages 83 and 84, if you guys would like. Um, let me know on the Gundog Notebook listeners page on Facebook. Let me know if you liked it and we'll keep going with that book. There's a few other things, quite a few other things that I highlighted um, there, or I just might keep going on anyway.
Um, so moving on, I want to talk about uh, AF Hodgewalt's Bird Dogs, their history and achievements. Um, and going into that book specifically, I want to get into Manitoba rap and the graphic family. Um, again, when we're talking about first, um, in, in terms of bird dogs and things like that, um, I think I could pay my respects to Manitoba rap by opening up this new segment with, you know, the first pointer to win a national championship title in America. Um, you know, it, it, there's so many great stories that so many people may overlook or, or just not know of because for new guys that are trying to get into it, there's just a ton of information. And sometimes, um, you know, field trials and things like that can kind of seem like a little small society in, in, in and of its own self. Um, but the dog, we wouldn't have the dogs that we have nowadays if it weren't for these former dogs. Um, so, you know, I'm going to start by acknowledging the graphic family um, or graphic kennels. They were around in 1885, J.L. Anthony of New York. Um, he imported graphic, which was considered the best looking pointer in England. Um, and he partnered with a few other guys and, and, and they started working dogs here. Now, the, the interesting part of it is, and I'll get into this later. Um, this I do want to touch on a little bit more in, in a later podcast. But there's a huge, uh, I guess, uh, how do I say it? There's a longstanding relationship between the Westminster Kennel Club, you know, Westminster Dog Show, and field trials. You know, that history goes back way, 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 way far. And I'm I'm thinking I'm going to end up getting into um, the Westminster Dog Show and, and Sensation and their logo and things like that in another episode um, next week. But, you know, the graphic family, what I liked about them was the fact that they were actually not very not heavily concerned with field trials. It seems like they participated in them. Um, but their thing was the bench and confirmation shows. Um, you know, and that's a big deal for us because in order to have a proper working dog, you know, there's value where the confirmation ring comes in because that dog's got to be built right in order to, you know, function and operate. So, you know, there's all these dogs. You got Rush of Lad, and and you know you've got um, you've got uh, give me the name, give me the name, give me the name, give me the name. I'm thinking about it. You've got uh, Lady Cyrano Rush, and and all of these other dogs that ended up leading to Manitoba Rap. So, Av Hodgewalt and the um. The issue, volume 292, number 32 of American Field, which I recently got, um, they go into paying some respects to Manitoba Rat. Um, again, he was the first pointer to win a national championship in America. Well, Hodgewalt notes that his 
he had like a startling posture on point and, and, and his ability as a, as a young Derby to scent, um, scent birds at, at far distances and undoubtedly find game. It was unquestionable that this dog was on game. He would freeze up in whatever position he was moving at the time of catching scent. So hell, if he was upside down, the dog would freeze him point upside down. It sounds like, um, you know, sometimes he was high headed. Sometimes he'd be stretched out like an adder, <laughs> as he said on page six of American field um, of that issue. Um, the graphic family, you know, which contributed to much of the initial su success of field trial pointers in American history was I they ironically paid less attention to field trials and, and, and more into the confirmation shows. Um, but nevertheless, it led to Manitoba rap. And it's interesting that this dog was so phenomenal, but he was charged with being, quote unquote, fussy as it was noted, or, or in other words, he, he would recheck the ground, you know, all the time. If he wouldn't find birds, he would like kind of, he had like an OCD nature about him, about checking the ground. Um, and I wonder, you know, is, is that really a fault? And that's not a, I don't necessarily, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think there is a, a conversation between, judges and handlers on what they look for out of their dog. To me, I, I almost want to say that it's signs of an intelligent dog. Um, and it's, and that's coming from the fact that Manitoba Rap's mother was apparently not very smart, but had a hell of a nose on her. So I think the argument is, is kind of two-sided you know, is the dog unsure of game or is he just being thorough, you know, um, and is he wasting time during a field trial? You know, it's things like that that I really like in a dog's performance. Um, and Manitoba Rap seemed to identify with all of the qualities that I'm looking for. And I hope to find in my hopefully lifelong, you know, history of, of, working dogs, but also these stories really resonate with me again because I'm, I've been really drawn to pointers. And up until that point, it was setters that was winning field trials. Um, and, you know, with Manitoba Rap, a dog that at that young of an age is a derby, under two years old, um, was intelligent enough to stop on game and all of those things, you know, and, and freeze in whatever position that he was in, that is a high level of intelligence. You know, the story of Manitoba Rabs Dam and, and um, Mr. Fieldman, if I'm not mistaken, I want to get the name right. Um, if you give me a second, I can get the name absolutely. Mr. Fielder. Lady Cyano Raw, uh, Rush was owned by Mr. Fielder and she wasn't very smart at all. She's practically worthless and kind of gun shy and pretty unbroken. Well, Hoshwalt ended up making a suggestion to breed her with a much smarter dog. You know, and, and that was a dog that he ended up breeding with called Gorham's Ripple. 
Um, and Ripple was was a much more intelligent dog. So he basically took talent and bred it with intelligence. And that's where we end up getting um, Manitoba rap. So it's a very interesting thing when people are students of the dog, how you can put two and two together and you got this awesome performer. Um, and I think we should all look for that in a dog, you know, but it sounds like back in the day, these guys were really observing dogs, natural ability. They weren't hindered by a whole lot of different influences. And I feel like today we kind of are, and I'm guilty of it. Um, but my point being, man, watch the dogs, you know, watch his natural ability. You know, I think that's the benefit of the nap, the nab, the natural ability tests and things like that. But we get so caught up in trying to make the dog do things that, that are not intuitive to it, that it, it go, you start to get in the way of the dog. Now, I'm a firm believer you should get in a dog's, you want to get in a dog's head in a good way at a very young age because you want them working for you. But that's been something that I have been working on, you know, in my own practice is getting into Vegas's head, but still allowing him to style himself. You know, the barrel is great. But even on game, I want that barrel work to translate to the ground. But I basically want to take what I'm trying to give him and, and what I'm trying to help him with and, and help him understand. I want that to trans. I want him to take it and do it in his own way. That's what I'm looking for out of my dog. You know, we're not looking for man-made dogs out of here. I want him to take the lessons that I'm giving him and implement it in a way that best suits him. Um, you know, I'm a teacher, I'm an art teacher. I can teach so many different, you know, principles, hatching, cross hatching, stippling and, and blending and all these shading techniques. But I still tell my students in class, you need to take this and use it in your own innovative ways. And I think dogs are allowed to do that when you give them the space to and don't don't impede their progress. So those are just kind of some lessons that I, I took from these two publications. Um, and I can honestly say out of all the books that I've read, um, you know, going back to some things, Bird Dogs Are History and Achievements, Quail and a Quail Dog are two of my top favorites. Um, I just got the Bird Dogs, the Hotchwalk book, uh, probably a couple weeks ago. I'm not even all the way through it. I'm flying through it, though. I'm a good ways in. Um, but I've kind of been taking notes along the way. And, um, you know, I just like old books, man. Like, when you look at it, it's all, you know, dingy and dinged up, got some writing in it. But whoever had this book before, man, was sitting on gold. And I appreciate you for selling it to me. Um you know, for those folks that, you know, care to know, the books that sit on my desk right now and don't move are those two books, um, Whaley's Wing and Shot. You know, that's kind of been my training manual. I was using Delmar's for a while, and I just think Whaley's is a better suit for me. Um, Snakefoot, the making of a champion. You know, I have a snakefoot dog, despite all 
the thoughts and theories on who Snakefoot was as a dog and why he was so good, blah, 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 blah. You know, I really love that book and I and I I like what um I like what Whaley was trying to accomplish with that book. So then I've got Craig Koshik's Pointing Dogs, Volume One, The Continentals. Those all sit on my desk and they actually don't move. <laughs> they do not move. Um so yeah. In addition to all of my old gun dog notebooks and the new one, volume two, little self-plug there. Um, all of those books sit there. And I, I think, you know, guys, if y'all are interested in learning a little bit more, you know, look for these books. You know, my buddy Ross, too. Um, you know, shout out to him. If you're in the uh, Atlanta area, go check out the Ball and Buck store at Pond City Market. You know, Ross reached out to me and was like, hey, you know. What should I what should I buy? I want to get some things, you know, some something bird dog related, right? And my suggestion was to buy books. <laughs> books are gonna go a long way. Um, and he did, he actually bought some really cool ones. Um, I had sent him a couple of recommendations. Um, because my wife and I just keep a a, a library of things. Um you know, books that we want, books that we've bought, and we just kind of keep a, a running tab of it. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, guys, next week, um, I'll go, I'll either go over some more coverage if you guys like that. Um, I'll cover some more areas in both books, um, you know, and, and bring some more, you know, comparisons and contrast, you know, that I've kind of found interesting in the whole history of bird dogs. All right, guys, that is the end of my segment. Um, again, that segment is Books and Bird Dogs, and I, I want to keep going. Again, guys, I'd like to thank all my sponsors and affiliates, from Onyx Maps, our title sponsor, to Yukonuka Sporting Dog, to Garmin Fish and Hunt, um, for, to Dakota 283 Kennels, to Lion Country Supply, and everybody else that has been supporting the podcast since day one. Thanks again to Project Upland and the Northwoods Collective.